What are you doing? Uh, they were just asking about the family and... She was about to tell us about her super awesome gift! Oh, Mirabel didn't get one. You didn't get a gift? Um... Mirabel! Delivery! I gave you the special since you're the only Madrigal kid with no gift. I call it the not special special since, uh, you have no gift. Thanks. Oh, and tell Antonio good luck. Last gift ceremony was a bummer. Last one being yours that, that did not work. Mm-hmm. If I was you, I'll be really sad. Well, my little friend, I am not. Because the truth is, gift or no gift, I am just as special as the rest of my family. Who wants more pay? All right, guys, where do I drop the wagon? Maybe your gift is being in denial. Which movie do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about Mitchell's vs. Machines or Encanto first? So I'm getting the sense you didn't like either of these. <laughs> so there's some truth to that, but it's not because they're animated films. I know it's like a thing, but there's things about both of them know. that I find deeply flawed. Like I like animated movies. It's just these two I didn't like. You keep saying I like animated movies and I, it keeps seeming like I like you really what you're saying is I like anime movies. You're here for your Studio Ghiblis. You're here for your ghosts and ghosts in shells. It's, it's so OK. So I was thinking about it and I was kind yeah. of hoping Mitchell's versus the machines might put you over a little bit because it's not a musical. Like I was trying I'm trying to figure out if the musical aspect was the problem. Like I'm trying to strategically eliminate different elements to try to figure out how to suggest an animated movie to you that you'll actually like so studio ghibli yes definite baseline of yes but then but that's kind of the thing so i was i was thinking about it and i think the question of me liking anime is no question i i fuck with anime it's super heavy that's not even a question my thing is i was thinking about it after watching Encanto because i watched that today and it was just what do I like about animated films that gets me excited, right? I was mm-hmm. thinking about that question. And especially for Encanto being just like a Disney property and my relationship with Disney is not necessarily complicated. Like I'm growing more and more by the day, like to severely dislike Disney. And it just like kind of seeing the matrix for what it is and just seeing how formulaic it was and and where and like things that it was derivative of and boundaries that it didn't press like you know i like so it, i don't want to start out on a negative foot but let's actually start out I, on a I don't know that there's a way that we're gonna be able to not because i'm gonna be like it was good actually and you're gonna be like no it wasn't and that's just gonna <laughs> Well, okay, let's start with Mitchell versus Machines then, because that was the one that you were trying to at least get the te- feel the temperature in the room, so to speak. Yeah. So my thing with that film is the animation. I think there was definitely parts of the animation that were creative and very lively. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a problem with that. I didn't have a problem with that in Kanto up to a certain extent. But for this film, though, for Mitchell versus Machines, it really felt like they took an 80s movie script and then tried to amalgamate it to today. There was parts about it that felt to me, especially with the dad, specifically, actually, not even with anyone else, with the dad specifically, that it really bothered me. And one of the things I was getting hung up on is the dad's age, because the premise of the movie is that this dad is a dunce and he's disconnected from contemporary Mm -hmm. times. He 
<laughs> he can't even read YouTube, which is just ridiculous. And it's like, I think the premise of all dads are dumbasses is super old. And then I think because so, I know a lot of dads that are not, that's what gets can, me kind of fucked up. Give some pushback on that, though. Yeah. I don't think the issue is that he's dumb. I think the issue is that he is very differently skilled and she doesn't appreciate that and he doesn't appreciate her skill set. And as someone who has a dad, you know, he's probably in the kitchen right now. That's really real to me. Yeah. As someone who like my dad is so good at math and business. He is a super smart cookie and he he picks up on that stuff immediately. He does not understand sometimes, I think, that my skill set is not there and that my skill set is different and that can create friction. And that's what this is here. But we here at Pound about to drop our biggest invention yet. Your cell phone is about to take its first steps. Whoa. Is this real or? Yeah, hold on. Hey, gang. Uh-huh. Hey, Dad. After a long day at work, nice to see your faces. Bathed in ghoulish blue light. Wonderful. Okay, you know what? Brilliant idea. This is our last night together before Katie leaves, so let's savor this. How about we put our phones down and we can make 10 seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Starting right. This seems. Put your phone down. Now. See, this is good right here. This is natural. Can he not read YouTube? Yeah, okay, that's a little, you know, kind of heightened, I think, for the sake of comedy. But I do think that the idea is that they both descended further into the things that they did. So for him, it would be like woodworking, driving like the Dukes of Hazard, etc. And hers would be like filmmaking and, and the internet instead of ever trying to meet in that middle space. And that's kind of what the the mom and the brother are trying to do. Yeah. Now, in terms of the script criticism, yes, it's very 80s in a lot of ways. But the thing that I like about it is it just decided to make the Terminator movies, but a comedy. And I think that dismantling some of the tropes of the 80s action movies are what's happening here. Because not only are the action stars not really action stars, but the action villains are not really action villains. The phone... Like the the Hal, the Hal Pal is voiced by Louise Coleman, you know, Oscar winner for being a fancy <laughs> English lady. Yeah. So like, I think it by kind of taking a lot of the things that we take for granted as trope sets and either elevating them or warping them, the idea that the 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 Hal bots draw little faces on themselves because they want they want to be individuals, I think is so funny. And there's little quips uh, like towards the end when Linda starts murdering where they're like the prophecy, the one they have foretold of has come. And I'm like, wait, these robots have lore. Wait a minute. Like they have an oral tradition and they're freaking robots that have existed for a week. And I think that that, that is in a similar way that it's kind of trying to, to represent the reality of how the fathers and their children, I think especially fathers and their daughters, can drift apart. It is also trying to parody the absurdity of that, those premises. And that, to me, is where the, the movie is more than just those trope sets. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. And I, I, I get the premise of everything that you're saying. And I, I understood what the movie was trying to put down. I just think that the, the die character... I disliked so heavily that it really was really hard to kind of engage with this film. And it just really felt to me like I describe it as kind of being emotionally disconnected because the things as far as you say you love your daughter, but you don't make any effort to get to know her, to get to know her talent, to get to know her skill until death is almost imminent. And to me, I mean, that just doesn't feel like real love. It doesn't feel like real trying. It doesn't feel like a real relationship. And from what you said earlier, from your perspective, as far as these are all kind of real things, like, absolutely. I feel that disconnect with my dad, too. But to me, I kept thinking about my male friends 
who have daughters and it just felt like it was so from another generation that it just to me i just could not really engage with the, with the bad character i mean at the risk of being kind of a, i would say an asshole in a positive way i don't think you would willingly hang out with people who are like this yes absolutely but that yes. doesn't mean they're not out there and that doesn't yeah. mean that they're not procreating <laughs> yes yes I, I i get it i i totally get it so it's and, it's definitely one thing to be like damn i'm so thankful that i know nobody who's like this and it's another thing to say those people don't exist anymore um no, so, when you're no, so, talking to someone who can think of seven off the top of her head <laughs> yes i i'm not saying they don't exist there there's unfortunately plenty of terrible parents that are my age that that can go around no 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 i'm not talking about parents that are your age i'm talking about parents of the people who are my age (laughs) because this movie takes place in 2018 yes so in 2018 i was 20 21 so i was a little bit younger than her or a little bit older excuse me but not a lot well no the movie takes place in 2020 doesn't it I believe it's 2018. I vividly remember the pandemic not existing in this universe because I saw the date that she went to college and I was very jealous that they did not live through a pandemic. Just a robot war. (laughs) Okay, so still move it up by two years. But I'm a lot closer in age, uh, not to be an ageist bitch, but like I'm a little bit closer in age, I think, to her and her father than I am to the daughters who are now having millennial dads. Yeah, she was born in 2001 or 2002. So Yeah, so that's three to four years after me, depending on how you want to math it. And so I think that a lot of this is also a commentary on like the way that men were raised from that time, how that makes it really difficult for people to engage with them. Yeah. And, and how their definition of love is not like, you kind of have to learn how to find it. And that can take years and sometimes and this is not in any way an excuse this is just an observation and i think that's kind of lines up with the movie is that katie's dad thinks that he has been telling katie how much he loves her for years yeah by building her shelves in her room by giving her a screwdriver by making sure she's safe but to her because she doesn't have any context or understanding of why he's doing that it doesn't feel like that And those are both very valid things that exist and like coexist. And I think that's the source of the friction. And for some people, it takes a lot longer than that to realize what their dad saying I love you is. So I think this is more of a commentary for the people who are now starting to become parents and their relationships with their fathers or mothers, but mostly fathers. So I think it's more for that age group. It's it's from the for the Katie's and up, I would say. Yeah. So I I can definitely can see that point of it. Like I said, I was really trying to engage with this guy's age. They never really say it. And really just kind of thinking about even people that I went to like high school with or college with who became parents like super early, and then them having, you know, teenagers like I, I know like multiple people that have like, you know, young teens, you know, and they are at the age of some of them, not all, but some of them are kind of in that, you know, late high school age now. And I think that especially for kind of, let's say he's, let's say this, the dad is not my age, but like a dozen years older than I am now. And I don't know. A part of me feels like that generation of people would have fucking known better. And so that's, and so that's why I just have, and I know. Is in some reality, of this you uh, just feeling defensive about your own generation? This is not me trying to be, be a dick, but like, cause to me, he reads like very right on that cusp of Gen X and, and, and boom. I would say semi yes. And that's why I kind of have difficulty with it because they don't really make the commentary either way with his age. And so she's, she is three in 2005. So she's born in 2002. 
And the video of them leaving the house is also 2002. And by then they say that they have been married for 10 years. So it seems like they maybe had kids on the later side. Like I said, to me, he seems like earlier Gen X to the very tail end of boom. Yeah. So it just, it feels like he's a boomer raising someone in this new generation. Can't relate. (laughs) I know you can relate. I know. But if this movie's not for me, then that's totally fine. I think for him, there's actually another part of it that is a little bit more fucked up about the movie that doesn't actually kind of does. But the biggest two parts about this movie that I really had problems engaging with was the die character, even though it was like heavily derivative of other movies, I could see the seams of it. So I think the dadness of it was just kind of amplifying that. But another thing that I really had a problem with was the song that they chose to bond the two and the rapper who like they they obviously use like the Rihanna like intro and bridge. Well, the sample and Rihanna's like hook to like them singing it together but the rapper who actually raps that whose song that actually belongs to uh he is an individual who is accused of by multiple people of drugging and sexually abusing and assaulting them so as soon as that like maya he dropped i was like wow they they really have this song in this time period and then to have it played multiple times throughout the movie that really took me out of it. And maybe that was something that it amplified just me being like negative on the film because that happened pretty early in the movie mm-hmm. that when they kept repeating it like four or five times and then obviously they have to do it at the very end, you know, I think that really kind of took me out of the film. And I, I just had a real hard time with engaging with it. No, that's fair. That's a fair point. Uh, I had a hard time listening to it because I wasn't allowed to listen to Rihanna. And (laughs) the fact that this subgenre of dad would be cool with like letting their kid listen to like modern pop music while still being like deeply suspicious of the internet does not quite gel for me. I think uh, maybe I I need you to walk me through this one to Mm -hmm. see how much I'm tripping on this one. So I've read this dad being super conservative would you say that is a fair assessment to me he came across more as i would say protective perhaps early 2000s conservative i don't think he's got like a trump sign in the yard okay i think he's he's kind of a a protective weirdo okay i can imagine him being maga especially with his daughter that would be uh that and his I think she's supposed to be black in the movie. His his wife, so so that she's, was uh, she is supposed to be Maya Rudolph. They were like, cool. "Who is the wife?" It's Maya Rudolph. They animated that. That's yeah. I don't read that into him. Perhaps because I do know quite a lot of people who fit the the dad part of this bill okay. and not that part of this bill. Okay. I do think that there is something about parents. Of daughters especially, when that child reaches a certain age, and usually it's around 10 or 12, where they suddenly realize that she is growing up and they freak out. Yeah. And they know how men are and they know how the world is. And instead of like trying to help prepare their kid for that, they just clamp down on the kid. Yeah. And at a certain point, like one would say it is protective i don't think it is protective i think it's more like a preservative where they're like if we put it in the glass case it will never outgrow the glass case which is just not how it works but i i am reading more of the i know how the world is i know what life is like and it's hurt me can you only imagine what it's going to do to my little girl into it and then i do like the immigrants are stealing our jobs yeah <laughs> would you feel about the uh katie character Oh, I I like her a lot. I like that she's not perfect. She is also definitely a little stubborn and does not want to compromise. But I think that is what happens in a relationship like that. So I felt that that was a very like realistic thing. I think she's adaptable, which I I think is really uncommon 
in heroines, especially, it usually seems like female heroes of movies are right from the start. And that's the thing that moves you through the story. Yeah. And in this case, like her flexibility is the thing that saves the day. Like everybody has to flex outside their comfort zone and that's why it works. But her, especially, I think you watch her, her grow and change and expand. Cause I won't even say like, I don't change is not necessarily the right word, but expand throughout the movie. And I think that's what is real because she's also a realistic teenager. She's kind of a shit, but in a fun way, she's trying to not be like, I can't wait to be rid of you little brother, but also like, Oh my God, like I need my own room. It feels very teenager but not in a like, oh my God, mom way. Oh, she's like, oh my God, dad way. A little yeah. bit. Well, yeah, a little bit, but so. it's established pretty quickly that that's kind of justified. How do you feel about her being queer coded, but then no one in the movie ever really engaging with her queerness? Is that even a thing? That, yeah, that sounds about like my lived experience. All right. <laughs> All like, right. My my cousin is married to a woman and basically, yeah, oh, they're great. I saw them in New York this weekend. It was fantastic. But like they were basically, I would say, presumed straight until she brought a, a woman home. Oh, wow. And what I found and this honestly impressed me in quite a lot of ways was that my entire family who like are people of, of varying ages and varying, I would say, at least like uh economical political leanings i think generally we're all pretty much on the same page about the human rights thing but whatever we're just like (laughs) welcome to the table thank you so much for joining us like and that was just it so i do think it's possible to exist in this bubble of like that's my little girl and then also like oh cool like i I like their partner and that's just as far as you engage with it and i think i think also just on a, a very base level normalizing it like that it's kind of good because she doesn't, no one really engages with their straightness either, except the little brother, I guess. I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, I, yeah. That, that to me is more engagement with anxiety. <laughs> yeah. He wild out too, a little too much for me. Like, just calm down, guy. Well, know? he's kind of the opposite side of that overprotectiveness, right? Yeah. Because she has developed kind of hyper competency. And that's a thing she needs to learn to kind of depend on other people a little bit more. Yeah. And he has developed, like, he cannot do anything without specific instruction. And so those are the two sides of that coin. Because you see that, like, the mom is like, all right, Katie, like, go kill some robots, whatever. But, like, as soon as the robots, like, touch her son, she just goes unhinged. And it's amazing. It's useless to resist us. parents and their neuroses are reflecting onto their child and their children are growing under those weird circumstances yeah so i don't think in me saying i dislike the movie i think there's a difference between saying a movie that i have especially but well actually not especially particularly the main character of the dad i can't engage with him that affects how i feel about the movie but on the same hand like I don't view this as a bad movie. Like mm-hmm. I just view this as a movie that I just couldn't get into. And I, I just wish he, maybe if you maybe been like maybe 10% more open to shit. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. It just felt like, it just felt like to well, me, also, it was kind of like the last ditch effort to kind of save your relationship with your kid. I do wonder though, like we don't see any of the 18 years leading up to this really, except a couple of like VHS tape flashes. Yeah, I think perhaps because I generally tend to lean optimistic. Yeah. And also, again, um, I know a couple of people who were like this at a certain point when they don't understand, they get frustrated and disengage because they they are dealing with their own toxic internalized misogyny and like hyper masculinity. And that is not it's not about you. Yeah. You know, 
but it feels like it's about you because all you're seeing is the stuff that kind of hits you. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, you hope that he tried to get it back on uh, Dog Cop 1, uh, <laughs> you know, or whatever, and it, it didn't land. And he just got so frustrated about, like, I don't get what my kid is doing. How am I ever going to be able to, like, get him to want to hang out with me now? Like, it, it literally just spirals from there. Yeah, because it's like you have your daughter who's like outwardly artistic. She's creative and she's super passionate. And yet between her being a toddler and her about to graduate high school, there's just some issue that you're just not paying attention to her at all. And it's like, you're just a shit. Well, I, I don't think it is that. I think what happens is that over time, you understand less and less about your kid and your kid gets more and more tired of trying to explain it to you. Oh, I, I know I and, know that. And those little walls just go up, right? And for some people, those walls, and for these people, this wall, that wall becomes insurmountable, right? Yeah. So she is seeing him getting frustrated at himself. Why don't I understand this? Why can't I engage with my kid? Like, what do we even talk about nowadays? And she is seeing it as he doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me which then just perpetuates that cycle until it just is constantly rotating. Yeah. And I think in the point that you brought up is a good point for me to think about as far as, am I engaging with this? Because I feel like this is a, commenta- a commentary on my generation versus the last generation, because it just feels like, I don't know. I just feel monumentally let down in the fact that how would you have like a child even if you don't get it, that's just outwardly kind of expressing themselves in this kind of way that it just seems like the attention and the care, it just not, it's just not given by him. And so I, I was let down by that and I got kind of derailed from that. And then the Live Your Life song like threw me off the cliff. Oh, no, so. that that makes a lot of sense. I do think though that, again, it's, it's about just, he thinks by getting the family to just engage together, like, that is helping yeah you know and so I you think have that, this scene where they're at the kitchen table and takes the yeah. phone and they're just looking at each other but that does nothing so right yeah. and like i think that it is it is again also an issue that like part of what he has to do is he has to really get in touch with, with his his emotions that's kind of his challenge in this movie right is yeah. that he knows what he thinks should work and that is not what is working And so his journey is to figure out basically that he's wrong and that's okay. Yeah. And I think that there is a lot of really good stuff in there that's really subtle about that. Like specifically the fact that he tries to sneak the moose into her backpack. Like that is him trying to say, like, I made this for us and it didn't work. Like the house didn't work for the family, but like I will make you a shelf i will teach you how to drive i will do whatever it takes like i can do that i'm good at and like sometimes people just don't have compatible hobbies or skills and that's what this is they don't have compatible hobbies or skills but they come to appreciate what the other one can do and like i think between being a teenager and how hard that is and being a middle-aged man and how hard that probably is i don't know i'm never gonna get to experience that one Um, well you know those little, like I said, those little bricks that you use initially to like protect yourself. Cause it sucks when you show your dad something you're proud of and they just go like, I don't get it. Yeah. And then they see that they hurt you and they just start going stupid, stupid, stupid. And it just spirals, you know? And I think that, that this is a movie about them trying to figure out. And I also think it's probably a movie about the filmmakers trying to make peace with their relationships with their parents yeah so the guy that directed the film he's about a year and a half older than i am Mm -hmm. so we likely have the same father but he's telling it from our father's perspective trying to raise you cat chinetti and so it's like you may have skipped a generation my boy but there are a lot more of those like there are a lot more kids my age with parents rick mitchell's age than i think people think because we are one of the first generations that like at the risk of sounding incredibly like ageist 
had older parents. Oh, yeah. My mom was young as hell. Yeah. Just because the science was there. And I do wonder if some of it is also in some ways an examination of that. Because I do think that sometimes those those things are not there. Yeah. You know, and I think part of the reason that most of my friends are older is because I was raised like a kid who was older because that was the example that my parents saw actively of parenting. But by the time it got to me, that was like eight to 10 years before. Yeah. Live from an undisclosed location in a basement in New York City, it's me, Craig, ruler, well, mayor of Dimension X and the producer of the hottest new pod in that dimension or this one, the Shredhead Pod, starring the Blasian Batty, aka Google Chrome Dome, aka Ado Nobu Nigga, aka my best friend, Oroku Saki, aka The Shredder. And we put aside our differences with the Ninja Turtles to be your weekly source of hot takes, sports, and entertainment news. Stay all the way and hear who Saki is named as his Cretan of the Week, and find something valuable in the Shred Commendations. So we'll see you on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever your pods are cast. The Shredhead Pod is a member of the Hyphen Podcast Group. Let us pivot to Encanto and my letterbox review. It just says whatever. <laughs> I mean, man, Disney, man. So Mitchell vs. Machine is not Disney. That is Sony. And so they don't have the limitations that mm-hmm. a Disney property would have. But Encanto is just a Disney film. Boy, it is a Disney film. So before we kind of get into my kind of thing with it, What are your thoughts on Encanto? I really liked it. I think that Disney in the last couple of years have started trying to deconstruct the trope of villainy a little bit in a way that I think is really interesting and it's probably going to mean a lot to a lot of people over time. And I really, I appreciate that. I cannot say they are always successful, but I appreciate it because I think you are much more likely to come across a hurt person who hurts people than you are a witch queen. Yeah. And I I like that direction a lot. I also really appreciate just on a, there's a lot of things happening with the Disney company right now that I don't really feel comfortable weighing in on. On a corporate level, I think there's a lot of stuff that needs to change. And it seemed like we were going in the right direction for a while. And now it seems like we're not. And I don't want to weigh in heavily because I I don't know when this is going to come out. And I don't know what's going to change because they're, they've already changed their arrangement like nine times in the last 15 days. Yeah. But um, the short version is I think that corporations, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. I'm not going to blame people for, for sticking with the media that they are comfortable with or care about that said i also think it is fair to expect more from your media i fully agree i'm gonna throw that out there as kind of my my official statement on this however comma purely from an animation standpoint i think it's really awesome that they are showing continuously more diversity in their stories and it's pretty clear that someone is doing a ton of homework the embroidery in the like in in the entirety of Casita on Mirabelle's clothing on everyone's clothing you know it's it's a little i would say magical inspired because this is clearly a magical setting but is largely accurate so they've really taken like actual history and twisted a little magic into it uh, which i think is pretty cool and i'm pretty sure that there are going to be a lot of uh, little kids who are going to be so excited to see themselves reflected like that i have already seen a bunch of really cute tonito cosplays from little kids who just got so excited that they saw themselves on tv so i think that there's a lot of good stuff i don't think it's all perfect stuff yeah but i do think that there's quite a lot of good stuff in there i do also think that this one more so than mitchell's versus the machines which is a long animated movie by the way they're both kind of long I thought Encanto was a little bit longer. Encanto could use some cuts. Yeah. Um, And that to me is my biggest problem with it. I liked it a lot more than you did. 
I'm starting to wonder if you don't like musicals, which wouldn't surprise me terribly. Who do I like musicals? I feel like I feel like you really need to vibe with it immediately or it will not bring you back. Is that fair? So when we talk about like Disney, like animated movie musicals specifically, um, and if we look at things beyond my childhood, because I could say I love Lion King, I love Aladdin. Well, I was, you know, four years old when those shits came out. Of course I love it. So in my adulthood, do I actually like animated musicals? Um, I think that's a tough one, man, because I do think you're right as far as like the engagement, but I feel like just for any kind of Disney animated musical i just feel like they're going to be so neutered in a lot of different ways that i don't really know how fast they're really going to get me engaged yeah and and that's fair personally i feel like when i start a disney movie i know approximately what i'm getting into in terms of degree of i would say um unique expression of complicated thoughts (laughs) okay and so for me i know like I don't have Aladdin, especially I have virtually no nostalgia for. Well, yeah, yeah, they'll way past your time. Well, yeah, but like I was a huge Beauty and the Beast kid. That's my shit because hmm. I had that. I had that VHS. I had Aladdin too, but I didn't like it as much. Now that's surprising. That's kind of surprising. But I did fuck with Beauty and the Beast also. I did. Well, fuck to with that me, one. Beauty and the Beast is like maybe the perfection. Like that to me is maybe the best example of the Disney animated musical or fairy tale musical i should probably say that is really in every frame is a painting movie that is everything is deliberate that is every note in the soundtrack is reincorporated when they brought it to broadway everything is reincorporated in different aspects to create a whole score with like 30 other songs like that to me it, it is a masterpiece of musicals period the fact that it is an animated musical is just like it's a hat on a hat, but in a positive way. <laughs> but I feel like at a certain point, right, you know what you're getting with an animated musical. You know that you are only getting whatever corporate has mandated is okay. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's really awesome to see, first of all, how the animation has grown. I think this movie is beautiful. But I also think that, like, look at this compared to, let's say, Little Mermaid, right? The growth of what corporate has signed off on because they're starting to understand the American public now and not even the American public. Cause like this movie is really ostensibly, I think not for white American people. <laughs> yeah. I this is a, a movie for people who have come from generational trauma. The only white people in this movie are the people who are chasing abuela. Yeah. Which they're all in shadows, right? You can kind of tell for me, I keep coming back to that trauma aspect and how that informs everything else that happens abuela feels that everything has to be the same because the last time something was different she literally watched her husband die yeah you know and when that one thing isn't the same we don't talk about it we don't think about it we don't that's it and it's it's really hurtful for the people around her but it's also really sad because how many beautiful things has she shut herself off to because of this yeah and for me i really like I feel like everybody has their favorite member of the family. Who's yours? Mirabelle. I need to do this. For you, for Abuela, maybe a little for me. First of all, I I like that she's kind of a brat. She, like, hates Isabella. She refuses to have any sympathy for her or even try to understand what she's going through. Even after Louisa lays out what she is going through, which is functionally the same. Oh, yeah. Uh. And she's like, well, yeah, but Isabella sucks, right? And everyone's like, uh, but... I I feel like on social media, I've seen a lot of people drawn to Louisa. Oh, yeah. Louisa is very... I like her a lot. Uh, But for me, the... Mirabelle's like tenacity of like I have to prove that I can do this I have to I really like that I like that determination in a lot of ways she reminds me of Merida from Brave which I don't know if you've seen but like Merida in Brave is very determined as well and she has a very strong personality and like whatever but like her goal is basically just like oh everyone leave me alone uh which is like very bratty and not compelling whereas 
I think Mirabelle being like, I am going to feel like I am outside of the family forever unless I can do this. Yeah. Like it's, that's a much more like understandable feeling, I think. Yeah. So I think the the biggest issue for me that the funny thing is I actually kind of thought that I would like Encanto more, but I think I actually liked it less. And so I think, I think the biggest issue for me was kind of the story because it feels like it felt like it was going to be a tale of, okay, so Mirabelle is kind of the black sheep of the family. Everyone has these gifts. She doesn't have the gifts. So she feels like she's less than she is, you know, seemingly kind of even like depressed about it. Um, She's kind of an outsider, but it feels like, and let me know if I'm wrong and let me know if I miss this, but it feels like they never actually apologize for making her feel like an outsider. I think the lesson of the movie could have been, even though you seemingly don't have these extraordinary gifts, you're still a special person. But by the end of the movie, she saves the family with this, like, you know, she brings the family back together. The seemingly the entire Encanto is like now like magically charged. And it's like, well, you are special because you have this magnificent gift, not because you did this extraordinary thing. Did I read that wrong? You read that super wrong. Okay. Because literally one of the lines in, in the final song is like, the miracle isn't what you can do. The miracle is you. And that is about it. Literally the entire town and the entire family sings to Mirabelle about why she is remarkable for who she was and the journey she just went on. And this is also when they all think they don't have their powers anymore. So they are, are realizing how hard it must have been for her and are basically saying how, how miraculous it is that she has been able to do, she has been able to be who she is and still be optimism, optimistic, excuse me, and still want to like help the family. They, you know, join in on building the house together and they literally make her a door that is the door to their collective home because really what she did was hold, hold the family together by just being herself. So like, yeah, no, the... The whole like last 15 minutes of the movie is about like, I went through this unspeakable thing. And as a side effect of that, I was not ever able to like acknowledge what was happening around me because it did not fit into the boxes. I thought miracles needed to fit into. And no, the the miracle is, is, is you, that you are who you are, that you are doing what you do, that you are full of love and care and whatever. The miracle is Mirabelle. And so explain this to me also, because maybe I missed this as well. So throughout the film, and I brought up Luisa a little bit, mm-hmm. and one of the lyrics that from the song that left me kind of floored was it was it was something along the lines of beneath the surface, I'm worthless unless I'm of service. Yep. And it feels like the gift that these people have at least maybe the the uh the young the younger kids not the youngest boy but like the the other the other mm-hmm. girls it feels like their gift is actually a curse but then they're they're burdened with it and they're yeah. then I, but everyone, then it's like, everyone in that family is like but then did you notice but, that peppa makes it rain whenever she feels any strong feeling yes yeah and, and she gets hyper anxious and it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. And the thing is that like, because people were not even capable of listening to Bruno, he felt that he did not have a gift. He had a curse. Yeah. And, and so, so this is, it is the same thing. And the fact that Abuela is able to acknowledge that she was focusing on the magic more than the people behind them. And how miraculous they were. Yes, it's about Mirabelle, but it's about the whole house. They come together to build together. Yes, I get that. I think the the part that got me confused is, so the power that these people have is a burden, but then toward the end of the movie, their powers are taken away, but then they're given right back. So, Mm -hmm. so... (laughs) 
<laughs> I know, obviously, the, the grandmother's supposed to learn this lesson, but aren't they, in theory, now reburdened with their power again? First of all, I think a lot of the reason that they feel they must be of service is because that is pressure Abuela has put on them. Yeah. Is that you need to serve the community because we have been blessed with this. You cannot be a person, you can be a tool. So by her changing her perspective on that, I think that puts a lot of that to bed. But additionally, the fact that the town comes to help, I think shows that they care about them, even if they can't help them in the way that they used to. You know, so I think I think it's more that they now feel cared for enough to be themselves, that when the powers come back, they are themselves with powers, not powers with personalities. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I feel like Louisa will probably still help people move mules, but she will say, I'm sorry, I've moved too many today. You know, I, I can't do it anymore. I need to so take a break. I, I, I think, well, I'm not, I think I know, like, I know the moment that I became kind of disengaged with Encanto was, and we kind of talked about how Disney is formulaic and derivative of their own shit. Like the moment that, you know, everything got fucked up in the house, the house got destroyed, and then she leaves in the wilderness. I was like, okay, this is just Lion King. And so, and so when that happened, I was like, um, uh, oh, okay. Are we are we calling out things that things are derivative of? Lion King's just Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I just. Did you know that uh, most things are based off of the hero's narrative, which was originated in Beowulf? <laughs> Damn, the first record of printed literature that we have. Yeah, I, I know that there's really only a handful of stories that get recycled, but it just felt like it drop kicked me in my eyeballs. That's all. That's all. Um, did you didn't you feel that. that? That's totally nope. fine. That's totally fine. Um, no, for me, I think that there were a couple of scenes that were a little too long. I think that it probably could have been maybe 10 to 15 minutes shorter. I would have liked that a little better. But like, I liked the world. I liked the story. My mileage varies on Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, listen, you, you brought up the song lyrics. I brought up a little bit of lyrics. I can't do with this guy. I'm sorry. Man. Well, so the thing that I think is really great about him for animated movies is he's really great at songs that, that deliver a message while the song is happening. So you like the first one is like, here's the family. Here's what we do. We live in a magical house. It's fine. And like, that is a really good scene setting song for an animated movie. I think it's really fun. All the songs do their jobs well. And also, uh, we don't actually have to listen to him sing like we did in Moana. Hilarious. He's not like, in this movie, right? No, he's I know not. He wrote the songs. There's, yeah, there's okay. definitely a part of me that feels like he was like, I'm going to play Bruno. And everyone was like, oh no. God. Peace to the God, John Leguizamo. I love him. He's so good so. in this. Like, he's so good in everything. But like, I was kind of shocked, honestly. Oh, sleeping on the king. Sleeping on the king. I feel like that's another thing I do want to really point out, though, is like the voice performances in this are so good. I would agree. Like Diane uh, Guerrero, I think is her name. Uh, she is Isabella and she is also uh, Jane on Doom Patrol. And I had a really hard time internalizing that they were the same people. Okay. I feel like everybody came to, to the recording booth and either they made it up themselves or Disney gave them a handbook or both of like exactly who this character was, how they would talk, even how they would sing into the vowels based on like what their bodies are doing which is a really subtle thing to listen for, but like you would notice it if it wasn't there. Yeah. And I, I'm aware that, that it's, it's, a, it's a Disney fairy tale type story and your, your mileage is going to vary on that, right? Yeah. But to me, this felt like such a beautiful quilt made of so many different parts. And like, sure, the backing of the quilt is a kind of recycled mash of other stories, but like the face of the quilt the the new stuff that they added to the quilt was unique enough and interesting enough that I feel like it was a worthwhile use of my time. I've watched it a couple of times now. I think I've watched it twice. I think it's good. I also think it is going to be a movie that as kids grow up are going to help them in different ways. Uh, and I think that's good. Between Encanto and Mitchell's versus the Machines, which one would you say has a better chance of winning the Oscar? As Catherine or as the Academy? Both. As Catherine, I think it should be Mitchell's versus the Machines. 
first of all, just from a, a writing perspective, I think it does a really good job being a non-musical animated movie that somehow packs a lot of like emotional poignancy into it. I also like that some of the inserts are hand-drawn. It uses a variety of different animation styles. Yeah. I, I think that it does a really good job of creating a very coherent tone, but the coherency is discordant. And it also, I think, does a really great job of being influenced by what it needed to be. Um, so the kids who are 18 now, I, I feel like this is a little more in line with with what they grew up on in terms of YouTube and stuff. I think they did a really great job with that. Yeah. In terms of the Academy, I'm honestly not sure. To me, it really feels like a toss up between Encanto and Mitchell's versus the Machines. I think they're probably going to go Encanto because Lin-Manuel Miranda is a palatable enough person of color for them that they still feel like they're doing something diverse and special while not being threatening to other white people. Um, And the animation is beautiful. I think it's really good. I think it tells a really good story. But if they gave it to the Mitchells versus the Machines, since 60% of the Academy is white men, I think that would also make a lot of sense because that is a story for white men who want to connect with their white daughters and (laughs) white daughters who wish they could connect better with their white dads. Fair enough. So I I really do feel like it could go either way. But for me, I'm, I'm really hoping for the Mitchells versus the Machines. We're going to have to revisit this concept of does Marcus actually like animated musicals or not? Or animated movies or not? We're going we're gonna to find the one cat by hella high water. And I'm probably going to drown in hell, but we need to find it. We're going to fucking find the cat. Follow cat at cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Show and Mad Love on Twitter and Letterbox. Follow the show on Twitter at Cat and Mark. Be sure to read us at catseasmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob.wordpress.com. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?